Holiday House Books for Young People presents Gianna Marino, author and artist of We Will Live in This Forest Again, in conversation with publisher and editor Neil Porter. Hello and welcome to the Holiday House Guest Book Podcast. I'm Neil Porter, uh, publisher of Neil Porter Books at Holiday House, and I am delighted to welcome Gianna Marino, author and artist of We Will Live in This Forest Again, uh, to this program. I feel so kind of announcery here. This is a whole new role for me, Jana. How am I doing so far? You sounded great, Neil, and I'm I'm so happy to be able to chat with you about this in the middle of it being made. Yeah, I mean, we have done three books together, and it occurred to me as I was sort of looking backwards, they all uh, have to do with nature. Mm-hmm. They all take place outdoors. Uh, the first, uh, it was The Boy, A Ball, and a Dog, uh, which did that? Did you set that in Point Reyes? Am I thinking? Yeah, it is, and I think um, that wasn't set in Point Reyes. And I think you know, although when you're talking about nature, I just I feel like I've always been, even as a little kid, just intrigued by nature. And so I think that was all the books I want to write. I just want to write about nature and the outdoors, and I can't seem to keep inside. I want to be outside and being in nature all the time. And you live in nature. Tell us a little bit in- about your home. Yeah, so I actually live in a really small house, not a tiny house, but a small house in Sonoma, California, and it is surrounded by nature and trees and hiking trails and forests and animals, and all of that has always been a big part of my life. That's right, and the second book uh, we worked on together was called If I Had a Horse, and that speaks to your love of horses, and you, in fact, have a horse, yes? I do have a horse and um, yeah, it was fun writing that book. I really, I think I slipped back into being that little kid that, which I was, that just wanted nothing more than to have a horse. And I do have one now. Um, But yeah, I've always just been drawn to animals and sort of their own relationship with nature, I guess, living in forests and living in fields and living in the ocean and all of these creatures that live out there. And I don't know, I I, I really love backpacking and I always, go out there with my backpack and I think we're so self-sufficient with our you know our little gear to go and I look at these animals that live out there with nothing you know how do they do it Mm -hmm. and these little tiny birds that live in snow with their dinky wings and tiny little feet and it's all fascinating to me I think we both love traveling that much I I know and I think of you as the inveterate traveler always going off to Costa Rica or some sort of glamorous place and uh, and I love exotic travel too. And the last year has been enormously frustrating for so many reasons. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm currently cooped up in a in a literal closet where my home <laughs> office is in Manhattan, and I miss uh, getting out and seeing the wide open spaces and and yeah. stuff. I I envy your close connection to nature out there in Sonoma. Yeah, I'm. I feel you. I, I uh, I'm sure missing traveling too and being in seeing new things and meeting new people. And it's been a really weird year to say the least. Weird in so many, many, many ways, but let's go back a couple of years and talk about the inspiration for this book. Yes. A couple of years back to October of 2017. Um, we just passed the anniversary. I think is it the three year anniversary? Yeah. Three year anniversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this book, We Will Live in This Forest Again, was inspired by my own experience in the 2017 fires in Northern California. You know, looking back on that, there have been so many catastrophes since then. Um, I mean, a lot of fires, but also worldwide with other flooding and hurricanes and 
we won't even go into the whole political madness that's happening. But I feel like with those fires that first night, back in October of 2017, I just had no idea that anything like this could happen. And when I think back on coming back to my house, I, we, I was in San Francisco seeing um, Lucas Nelson, Willie Nelson's son, play at a concert there. And we came out of the venue and it was warm. San Francisco is always freezing. And it was sometimes I get these beautiful fall nights in San Francisco. And it was one of those nights. And we probably came out, it was about 11 o'clock at night. And it was warm and lovely in San Francisco. And we smelled a little bit of smoke. And that's not unusual for that time of year that there's some little fire going. So we thought nothing of it. And we started driving home. And it's about an hour drive, maybe a little bit more. And coming around coming up Highway 101 and then you turn off towards Sonoma and we came around the bend and there was just this entire hillside was on fire and not like a little hillside, like a massive, the whole ridge of Napa. We were looking at just this red sky and flames across the hill. And it didn't occur to me that this is a really dangerous situation. Even, even at this point we're driving along and I went, wow, that's a big fire over there. Um, and as we started heading up this, the Napa Valley, which parallels, sorry, the Sonoma Valley, which parallels the Napa Valley, the wind was like I'd never seen it before. There were tumbleweeds going across the road and tons of fire engines coming towards us, evacuating, and tons of horse trailers that were coming towards us. And even at that point, I thought, wow, there's, this is huge. This is a big fire. This is, this is like what you see in the movies or something. It doesn't seem real. And by the time we got to our house, our house at that point was still, I mean, it was fine. Our neighborhood was fine, but the, all the deck furniture was thrown across the deck and I'd never seen that before. And there was smoke everywhere, but I still didn't think, Oh, we better get out of here now. I just, cause we'd never experienced this before. We'd never experienced a fire to this scale. And I had no idea about what the winds and dry hum- and dry weather and low humidity means in a fire. I had no idea that this night was, it was like the perfect storm for a firestorm. And, and as the years have gone by now, I look back on that night and I go, I can't believe we didn't evacuate in that second. It was, and you know, there were transformers exploding and it was just really scary, but almost, I think I froze and I, I didn't even know what to do. And there was, you know, now we get tons of Nixle alerts on our phones and emergency alerts about fires here and winds there and check this and do this, but there was nothing. Nobody was saying anything. And the neighbors were just sort of looking around going, I don't know what to do. What do we do? So I I think that night I was tired, even though I was petrified. And um, my ranch called me where my horse is about five minutes up the road. And she said, if you want to get your horse out, you better come now. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, the barn's on fire the whole neighborhood's on fire. And this just, I, I'm even getting like nervous talking about this because it was so horrific. And I grabbed my car keys and I was running down to go get my truck and drive up to the ranch. And another gal called me from the ranch and she said, don't bother. There's, we can't get them out. It's so smoky and windy and they're evacuating everybody. And we can't, we have to leave them. We can't, we can't get out of here. And so I started packing up my own house, getting ready to go. And, um, it was, and I just had these visions that whole night of the, all the horses burning. And it was, it was, it was horrifying. It was just horrifying. And then at some point our power went off, which is funny because now they turn the power off if there's a little breeze out there. But um, when the power went off, it, that was even scarier. And suddenly the flashlights, I don't know if you know that feeling, but the, 
when there's a catastrophe happening and all you have is flashlights and you can't turn on the lights. And it's just that much more like a, like a horror movie with bad lighting. So we packed up and evacuated and I'm making this a very long story, but uh, it was, it was the beginning of just, you know, weeks. So we evacuated, I think we were out of the house for, I can't even remember, probably about a week. And um, the fires, what happens with these fires is that it all depends on the wind. So if you, if there's a major fire happening and it's, you know, a time of year where there's more moisture in the, in the air and in the plants, you're probably fine. I mean, this is very generalized. Um, if there's high winds and low humidity, then f- forget about it. If the winds are heading away from you, you're fine. And as soon as they turn around, you're in huge trouble. And so for this week that we were evacuated, the winds kept moving all over the place. So we go in and out of panic of, okay, this is it. Now it's going to come and hit our whole neighborhood. And then it would shift away for a second. But essentially what was happening is these two fires, the Nuns Fire and the Tubbs Fire, were merging together. And they were all there. And if there was a third fire too, what is the third one? I can't even remember the name of it now. Um, but all three of these fires were coming around our little neighborhood. Um, and never mind all the people that have lost their homes so far and all the animals that are being evacuated and the forests that are burning and all the places that we hike. And uh, it was just, it was terrible. It was a horrible, horrible experience. And I, in watching it in these last few years of it in Australia, that horrible one when we were wrapping up this book was that fire. My brother lost his house in paradise the year after our fire. Or was that two years? Yeah, the year after. Um, so I feel like I've learned a lot about wildfires and don't need to know anymore. Don't need to ever see one again. Right, of course. I was going to ask, have people now become sort of specialists because they have to, because they live? in the area have has the body of knowledge sort of uh grown uh, i think so. i think levels, you know i'm on a facebook page that's uh, i think it's called the sonoma county firestorm update and they started it during these 2017 fires and it's it was the best place to get information at the time including any news other news sources i think because it was people that were on the ground they were here, they knew the firefighters that were doing the fights and and they were posting these information about specific neighborhoods. Um, Anyway, so a lot of people who who have moved away since the fires and new people have moved in and people will post on there and say, you know, I just moved to the area. I don't know what to do. And there wasn't even a fire, but you know, maybe if there's high winds or power outages coming. So I think the people that have been through it a couple of times and are interested in figuring out what to do and, what's the best you can do. Yeah. They probably have become somewhat experts. And then there's a lot of new people that come in and just go, Oh, what, this is what you're talking about, about these crazy fires. I remember emailing you during that week and being almost scared to email, not knowing what would be on the other end. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was obviously upsetting for me, me, but nothing like what you guys were going through out there. Yeah. So you took this notion and, and tell us a little bit about what happened next in terms of it becoming a book. So, um, you know, one, so one thing that happened early in these fires, and I think it was even on the first couple nights is that the thing that stood out to me the most is that everybody was helping everybody else. And in this day and age, I wish that we could all keep doing this because we are all the same. We all want the same thing. And why it has to take a catastrophe to make it happen, make people help each other, I don't understand. But what I saw in those first days and weeks was that every single person was helping everyone else. And whether it was helping evacuate animals, 
helping a neighbor, donating food, um, restaurants that could be open that weren't in the fire zone yet were cooking meals for the firefighters. Um, it was nonstop. It was amazing. And my, uh, when we were evacuating the, you know, we had some time to pack up our stuff. It wasn't the fire didn't come to us that first night. And the first night's always the scariest, I think, because it's the beginning of this whole thing. But I was, you know, we were getting ready and we didn't have a lot of time. And as I was driving down the road, my, I have an elder neighbor that lives across the street and he was just standing outside with his cat box. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, well, my power's out. So my phone doesn't work and I can't call anybody. I said, get in. And, um, so we took off and we're, and you know, there's, their fire wasn't imminent, but it was coming and we had to get out of there. And, uh, we were a couple blocks away and he went, Oh no. I said, what's the matter? And he goes, I forgot my dentures. <laughs> and it was so funny. It was so great. Like it was just a moment of, absurdity in this and we raced back to the house and got his dentures anyway back to the help so so this was going on for a couple weeks now and I think the fire itself was it a three week long fire I can't remember the I mean the beginning the first week was just horrific and then it still kept flaring up and was they could didn't put it out until it rained but um during that first week especially and then I think we came back after that first week and it was still burning but we were okay in our area so we could come there and there were these signs everywhere that said the love in the air is thicker than the smoke everywhere. It was posted on every door front, spray painted all over the place. And um, when I was working on this book and I started writing it, which I'll come back to that in a second, but I would cry every single time I, I thought about that because that was what, that was what I wanted to write about is that, yeah, there is this horrific thing happening right now, but we're, we're stronger than that. And we're going to get through this. You know, I have a copy of the book in front of me. And, and when we were putting it together, I love the fact that, that you included a photograph of, that, of one of those signs. that says, thank you, firefighters, police, everyone. There is more love than smoke in the air. Mm-hmm. And it's in the book. And, and then you have a lovely, graceful uh, dedication to all of the first responders and neighbors and friends and strangers and firefighters who helped during the 2017 fire. Mm-hmm. So on to the bookmaking. So on to the bookmaking. So um, I guess the what really stood out to me is after seeing that, seeing this this care for other people and that the, the love is stronger than it. Um, you know, I always feel I've always, all of my stories or almost all of them come from some kind of real life experience. And I think the ones that are the most frightening are the ones that are the most important. Um and I have to say, when I was in this fire and in this fear and just not in a great place, I was not thinking, how can I turn this into a story at all? It was just too frightening. And I thought I would, who'd want to read this story? What, what, what how, how am I going to share this in any way? And as we started coming back, and even when we came back, there was so much smoke. We had to wear masks forever. <laughs> Welcome to the world of masks. Um we couldn't open our windows. It was still warm and we don't have a CC who couldn't really open the windows at night. And it was just kind of a ugh, kind of yucky time, but things slowly started improving. And I was, because I hike so much and I love nature so much, I was just really worried about all of these, you know, selfishly trails that I hiked, but also all the trees that I would, you know, these beautiful redwood trees that I would hike through. And of course the animals and all the parks were closed. Everything was closed for quite a while after just because there was so much destruction and, and trees down and then trees that were um, compromised that could fall. Um, 
but what I started reading about was that there were these web, these little, uh, what are they called? Wildlife cams. And they have them just all over the parks. Anyway, I see them when I'm hiking around and I always wave to them. Um, but they just track the animals and see what they're doing. And some of them did not burn in the fires. And what these webcams started showing, and this again, I think it was on that Facebook page and they were talking about it in the news even, is that these animals were coming back. And it just gave so much hope to all of us who love these animals and who love these parks that the things that fill the parks are coming back already and it's still smoldering and smoky. And and yet here's a little deer walking past the camera. There's a bobcat, there's a mountain lion, there's a bear. Um, And that was, that to me was the truth. You know, these animals don't have, we have our homes to come back to some of us. Um, Those who lost their homes, like that was just, just so horrific. Um, But these little animals, all they have is their forest. All they have is their, their nature. They don't have, you know, the evacuation zone to go to or whatever. They just get out of the way while it's happening and then they come right back to it. And that was amazing to me. And then what was even more amazing is I think it was three weeks after the fire started, the first rain came. And I I am not exaggerating that the little shoots that came out of the ground was, I think it was within a day. It was so fast that this black, barren, dead-looking landscape had life again. Um, And that was just the beginning. And you capture that so beautifully in the book. Uh, Because it's a hopeful book for all the angst and horror that occurs at a midpoint through the book. Yeah. And um, actually, I was thinking about this morning, I just reread the story, just knowing we were going to sit here and talk about it. And one thing that was, and I wanted to talk to you about this a little bit is, and I know we or I sort of struggle with it and we talked about it, but was the the tenses of the book throughout writing it. Cause I wanted to start in the past of how it used to be, but I also was writing this from a place of hope for the future. But yet when I wrote it, this, the forests were still black, the trees were still burnt. And so the book starts off in the past tense and, and sort of this deer reminiscing about how things used to be and how this deer thought the world was, or this forest was And then it doesn't go into the sort of present future until really after the fire. And, and I think that when I was, you know, when I started to see the the sprouts coming back and, or the, the little shoots coming through and the trees starting to come back, that that was the moment of realizing that we could, we got this, we could do this again. These animals will be back. The trees will regrow. We will, we will live in this forest again. And I think that was the turning point of, of, of realizing it for me that it, things would be okay. I have a faulty memory these days because I'm old and decrepit, but <laughs> I'm trying to think back to the process on this book because I love our way of working. It's a lot of doing and throwing and stuff. Uh, and, and But my memory is that the shape of the story was there from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, in fact, I just pulled out the first dummy of it Um and its original title was actually, I will live in this forest again. Um, uh-huh. Instead of we, yeah. Um, and which is a little bit, feeling a little bit selfish. But um, yeah, I think it really was there from the beginning. I think the only changes, aside from developing it, um, especially the text, well, and the illustrations. But um, I think there were some scenes in it where I had the animals actually cuddling because I wanted to believe that like they were in this together and they were going to cuddle together. And I think you had said, you know, is it realistic that a bear and a mountain lion and a deer and a coyote and a raven would 
do that? And I went, yeah, no, not so much. Um, but I feel like the rest of it was really there. It was pretty. I think it's an interesting challenge and, and the whole concept of anthropomorphic creatures, um, giving them, you want to imbue them with human characteristics because you want kids to relate to them. At the same time, you want to be true and, and realistic to their actual beings. Yeah. Um, and that, that's often been a struggle. And I, I think, I think here, I mean, did you, was your notion from the very beginning to tell the, the book from the point of view of a deer of the animals as opposed to human beings? Yeah. Um, I think a couple reasons why I love animals so much, not that I don't love humans, but I think I love that animals, they're just so much more honest in a way. They don't have all these worries and fears like we do or preconceived notions or, um, you know, stress about what's going to happen in the future. So I love using animals to tell stories. And I think what was especially sort of interesting to me in working with a deer is that she deer are both really powerful and strong and um, resilient to many things. And yet they're also fragile and vulnerable to mountain lions. And I wanted the mountain lion to be in the, in the book as well. And that he was just as vulnerable as she was that she realizes this thing that I've always been afraid of is, is as vulnerable as I am and is as scared as I am. And I think had I done that with humans, it probably wouldn't have been, had the same impact that, you know, the mountain lion, they eat the deer and yet the deer can realize that we're all the same. We're all, we're all one and the same. Yeah. I I, I just want to read a little from the, from that point in the book, because the fire is beginning to blaze and it's from the point of view of the deer. And the text is, I always thought that mountain lion was the fiercest animal in the forest, but like me, and there's a page turn. He was fragile. Uh, and I think that speaks so directly to the fragility of even the most powerful creatures and the scariest creatures in a situation like a, a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Um, I know towards the end of the very end, after after you'd finished the art and stuff, we had a title change. And I hadn't realized that it was a real, originally, um, I will live in this forest again. Is that is that what the title was yeah i think as i remember this and and i could be wrong too because i'm old and decrepit myself um that i will live in the forest was the original title and then i think early on when we met um you said what about we have always lived in this forest because it's really about these animals that they've always been there they've always been there and so we went with we will always live in this forest i think is that the one that we went to i'm spacing out yeah yeah and i can remember that conversation and we were we were out by you and driving around and um some parkland where we were hanging out i can't remember where it was but um you know when you can't travel much you sort of look back on those days when you were completely footloose and fancy free and and it was a wonderful creative session um, but yeah, I was thinking about the history and the fact that the animals had always been there and, and we've always, and that's the first line of your text. We have right. always lived in this forest. Uh, and then I think when we were way down the pike, I just, you know, I, I can't remember, uh, you know, it's the old who's on first, but it, 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 I know it seemed to me that we were missing an opportunity to talk about the hopeful aspect of the book and the fact that that forests do regenerate and would it not be appropriate 
to have the title be we'll, we will live in this forest again. Yeah. Um, and I think what I think for me, actually, so I'm in a writer's group, as you know, with um, I think other six of us, I was six or seven, it changes here and there. Um, and we had a big discussion about this in the group about the title. And I think it was so important to me that we will live in this forest again, be the title because the book was so scary that I wanted it to be about the future. I wanted it to be about the hope that we got this, we could do this. We will be here again, no matter what. And in my writer's group, uh, one of the gals in there, she just, she didn't see it that way. And she, we got into a full on discussion. We, you know, Dukes were out and we were oh, wow. was just going, yeah, no, it's got to be this other way. And it shouldn't be like that. And, but it just made me see it that much more clearly that, yeah, that is how it had to be. Cause that was, it was, and having lived through it, it wasn't about, it wasn't about the history. It wasn't about the past. It was about the future. The whole book was about the future. It was absolutely the right decision. And we had already, I think the original title was posted on our webpage. I don't know. We'd gotten fairly uh, far down the pike, as I say, when we made that, mm -hmm. that change. And it was very much a change for the better, I think. And uh, and uh, the response to the book has been pretty amazing. Not amazing. It's, I should say justified. How about that? Uh, you've just gotten your fourth starred review for the book, which is really thrilling. And they've all had really interesting things to say about it. My favorite, uh, if I can sort of scroll through and find it, I mean, they're all wonderful quotes, but SLJ's review ends with, Marino has created a tribute to nature's reaction to and recovery from the wildfires. And this is the sort of sad part. Sadly, it appears this topic will be current for the foreseeable future, a first purchase for all libraries. And I think it speaks to the fact that the book is not only timely, and one doesn't set out to make a timely book, mm -hmm. but that it's likely that it will remain relevant for the foreseeable future. And that's mm -hmm. both terrific, that we have this wonderful book, and tragic, that we have to face a future that is likely to be full of subsequent wildfires. Yeah. Um, you know, when I wrote it too, I, I did think about, I wanted to write the story and, and tell this hope that we can have through these catastrophes. And, and I thought, oh, well, when it comes out, you know, we're, we're done with these wildfires, everything burn, what's left to burn. So, you know, hopefully it will find its place and help people whose house, whose homes are burned or whatever, wherever it finds its home. And yet here it just keeps every year is a new record for wildfires in both here in Colorado and Australia. And I'm, I mean, many places, I think I was talking to you a little bit about this the other day, but so I, I did some research on the wildfires around here, just out of curiosity. What, what do they, what did they look like back in the day? And I guess the exact same fires, the nuns fire and the Tubbs fire have a history of burning in the exact same areas about every 40 to 60 years. I think there was one in 18, gosh, I wrote it somewhere. What is it? 1870. And then again, in 1923, which hit my neighborhood. And I think where the home I live in now, I don't know if it was, I think it was built right after that. So it was probably hit this whole neighborhood. Um, and then 1964 and 64 to, I guess, 2017 was the one, the big one after that in the exact same fires. And, um, What's interesting, though, is that back then, of course, there was, you know, not as many people in the area. So it was a whole different can of worms. But the, when you look at the charts of these fires, the ones that happened in 2017, 
there was so much more fuel, which is all the dead stuff in the forest, the humidity was lower and the winds were stronger. So even though these fires, if you were to look at a chart, were every year they would happen every 40, 60 years, this one on the charts just went way up with the humidity. And, you know, the fact that it keeps happening, you know, the year after was paradise and the year after that, um, was it Healdsburg? And now I get, there's so many, I can't, I can't remember. I was amazed when you told me that, that there has been this sort of progression of fires in this area over a very, very long period of time. Mm -hmm. And one might argue that that's, you know, nature's, uh, way and in mm-hmm. fact fires are part of nature's way mm-hmm. which is covered in the book but the fact that they are uh, occurring with such frequency and such force mm-hmm. these days does speak to the fact that the climate has changed mm-hmm. yeah and i think with you know the droughts that we've had yeah droughts happen over history over and over and over again but the droughts that are happening now there's they're longer and there's less rain and there's, they're worse. They're just, they're worse. And there's more dry dead stuff in the forests. And then also the fact that we don't let our forests burn anymore when these natural fires happen, the little natural fires, which keep everything in check, but now they just have been putting them out. And so there's gotta be, we have to find a balance between healthy wildfires and letting them do their job to these things that are just out of control and catastrophic. Right. The fire storms. Um, do you have a copy of the book handy? I do. Would you like to read the end of the book? Because I think I think readers would enjoy hearing it from uh, In Time Our Forest Will Return towards the end of the book. Let me, let me find that area. So uh, for those who cannot see what we are looking at now... Um, this is the part of the story where it goes into the future. So the whole story has been pretty much in the past. And then this is where it all of a sudden is the, I guess it's the present. And then it goes into the future. In time, our forest will return. The trees and shrubs will once again be filled with birdsong and the rustle of animals. The new leaves and shoots will be soft and quiet under our feet. We will live in this forest again. And that's how the book ends. Uh, how the book ends. Very hopefully. Not quite ends because, um, because we do have a, a really terrific essay from you in which you describe your, the experiences you were talking about earlier in, in this mm-hmm. podcast uh, and its impact on you and your, your home. Uh, and then there are also facts about about wildfires um, and further reading. There, there is what librarians affectionately uh, refer to as back matter, <laughs> and what my friend and author Patty McLaughlin uh, once referred to as. Whenever I hear the word back matter, I think of something digestive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a little rude, but but there is a lot of comprehensive information uh, to accompany what is a very lyrical and poetic text. And your magnificent, translucent illustrations, which mm-hmm. I wish we could find a way to capture on an audio recording, but obviously can't. But it is uh, clear that in order to experience this book that we've been talking about, uh, you need to go and find a copy of it in your <laughs> local independent bookstore or your library. And I really hope you do that. 
All right, Jan, and before we close, I, I think you've left us hanging uh, at a very cr- critical juncture in the story. You described the fact that you were attempting to rescue a horse and were, t- were told you, that you couldn't go there because the ranch was on fire and the barn was on fire and there was no point. What ultimately happened? Um, I can't believe I left that out. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, that was a little bit of a cliffhanger, isn't it? Um, come to part two. No. Um, so the horse, I got to go there. I think it was three days later. We couldn't get in. There were so many power lines down in the area that they wouldn't let anybody in there. And when we were finally allowed back in, the horses were fine. And what's amazing is the entire neighborhood burned around them. The barn burnt down. Most of their fencing burned, but there were still wire ups. So they couldn't get out. Um, my horse had, he was in a, in a pretty large pasture. And the good part about, you know, the fall in this area, this time of year, because we have no summer rain, the, there were just lots of dirt. There's no full foliage, leaves, weeds, there's nothing in there. So there's nothing to burn except the trees, which did burn. Um, So my horse was in his pasture with this tree burning down. Um, But I think there were 15 horses at the ranch and they were all fine. One of them had a couple little minor burns on her, but it was amazing. It was really amazing. Well, thank you for that happy ending to that cliffhanger. So uh, I think we're probably close to the end. and, And this is the guest book. And so I'm going to ask you, Gianna, to sign the guest book with any parting words you might have for the audience. Yes. I want to say that we all go through good times and bad times in our lives. Everyone does. And the ones that are the, the bad times, the difficult times, I feel like we it's an opportunity to to be a better person. And whether it's just surviving it and knowing that you're going to get through it or even becoming a better person for dealing with it. Um, and I think uh, very briefly, I, I, if someone had told me when I was in my 30s and said, hey, you're both your parents who you're very close to are going to get cancer and die. Um, it's just going to happen. I could not imagine having gone through that in my life. I couldn't imagine surviving that and, and being okay and functioning. And yet it did happen. And it was horrific, but those those moments with them taught me so much about life and about appreciating it and um, gave me such a gift in a way that I never would have received. And I think this these wildfires, I mean, they're horrific and there's so many people that have lost homes and lives and I mean, they're horrific, they're horrible, but is there is there a gift in it in any way? And more importantly, we can rebuild from this and we can, the forest will regrow and houses will be rebuilt and we will get through these, these really difficult times. Thank you so much. And, um, and I will sign off as well and say that that message of hope that we will live in this forest again applies not only to, to, to wildfires in California, um, but to my own situation in New York city uh, whether you're talking about wildfires or uh, a pandemic or a political uh, uh, nightmare for many of us that we could never have foreseen, we will live in this forest again. We will, we will endure uh, because that is our nature and that is our destiny. So thank you all for joining us. I hope you uh, hope you go out and find a copy of We Will Live in This Forest Again. And uh, 
It's been my pleasure to talk to my dear friend and author and artist, Kiana. Thank you, Neil. It's been great speaking with you too.